Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. Today we're going to be talking about the um, end of chapter 3 in John, starting with verse 22. Um, It's a pretty short passage, uh, but I'm just going to give us a really quick overview of that um, before we dive in. Um, So it starts off with uh, Jesus leaving Jerusalem. Uh, He um, spends some time baptizing some people there, and as as his ministry is growing, he's almost stealing some of the people away from John the Baptist's crowd. So uh, his disciples kind of get um, anxious and riled up. And so he's he's asking his, uh, the the disciples are asking his rabbi to do something about it. And um, John replies in a very interesting manner. Um, And we'll see a little bit more in detail of um, what his response looks like and what that means for us as well. So um, in order to understand any passage of the Bible, I think it's really important to look at the context, kind of follow uh, the uh, train of thought and also the studies that we've been looking at. So uh, last week's uh, study, we looked at Nicodemus. Um, he was kind of struggling to understand this idea of a new birth and what that meant, um, Jesus tells him that uh, in order for one to um, believe, uh, sorry, in order for one to have eternal life, he must first believe in him. Now, after the, uh, chapter 3, the passage that we're going to be talking about, it goes into uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. So we know that story pretty well, but that, in summary, is another confirmation of Jesus as the Messiah. So, we're surrounded by these two passages focusing on what it means to believe. Uh, we talked about that the first week, that believing is such a central theme to the Gospel of John. We have Nicodemus, uh, someone who is struggling very much so with heavenly concepts, and a woman who believes due to the signs that Jesus is performing. Now we'll look at the disciples of John the Baptist. Before we get into the real meat of the passage, though, it may be important for us to understand where we're positioned on this map. So I know when any speaker, uh, when, I, when I'm attending any kind of lecture with a map, I kind of zone out pretty hard, and this becomes just very abstract to me. Um, but I'll try to simplify it. So up until this point, um, Jesus was in Jerusalem. That's where he was uh, kicking out the temple merchants. That's where he also spoke with Nicodemus. It's kind of at the bottom of the uh, map there. Now, in verse 22 of this chapter, uh, it says that he left Jerusalem and went into the countryside. Following this chapter, we look at Jesus uh, meeting the woman at the well, um, and that Jacob's well is actually in uh, Sychor, um, so kind of in the middle of that map here. So basically, we know that we haven't reached that point yet. Um, So Jesus is most likely in the countryside above uh, Jerusalem, which is kind of in this region. Um, we know that, obviously, you need water to baptize people. So he was likely along the Jordan, which runs on that right side. So um, along with that, we know that John the Baptist, he's in Anon, so um, kind of also towards the middle of that map. But the point of mentioning this all uh, is that 
we know from this information that John the Baptist and Jesus, they're both ministering relatively in the uh, same area. Um, And that kind of sets the scene for this conflict that arises between the two groups. Uh, Jesus and John, they're actually not even a day's journey from each other. So very easy, again, for uh, a member of this church to go over to a member of that, to be a member of uh, another church. So we get into verses 25 and 26, and um, this is sort of the debate that happens between these two groups. Uh, I've kind of already hinted on this, but the, a fight breaks out between a, uh, some of John's disciples and uh, an unknown Jew. Um, and based on our locational context and kind of the dialogue that follows, we can deduce that that person was most likely someone who was a part of Jesus' crowd. Now, while we don't know exactly what they fought about, uh, we do know that John's disciples are quite upset. And what's their biggest reason? It says in verse 26, everybody is going to him, meaning Jesus, instead of coming to us. So not only this, we know that uh, John's crowd is beginning to dwindle the moment that Jesus got baptized. John practically told everyone to just go, leave him, and follow Jesus. Who then stuck around? It's the ones that didn't believe, like we see here. Now, there's evidence for this uh, in their words. Uh, Verse 26, it says, Rabbi, the man you met, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing. I've stressed the use here because... They're saying this emphatically. They, they want their teacher to feel their frustration, not just feel, but actually do something about it. In the, in the, Greek, in the New Testament Greek, the pronoun you is not required like it is in English for uh, someone to understand that they're talking to you. Um, it's kind of a, a cool tip, but nine times out of ten, if it's there, if a you is there, it's being stressed especially if it's being followed by a preposition. Um, so takes us back to our language arts days, but <laughs> um, we don't see any uh, prepositions um, or use followed by prepositions here in the NLT version that I have up here. But if you actually go to the new King James version, which is a little bit easier to understand than the King James, uh, it translates it more word for word. And it says, he who was with you, and to whom you have testified. And, and so this is a kind of a cool tip because in your personal studies, it's, it, it should be um, these yous these that are stressed are usually pretty relevant to the passage. Uh, so I also recommend to look at multiple versions when you're studying this for yourself. Um, it's obvious that, so, so it's obvious that these uh, disciples do not believe. You know, they're, um, they're not wanting to admit that that man, Jesus, was the Messiah. They're followers of John, and they want to grow the kingdom of John's ministry. So how does John then respond? Um, You know, we know John as this fiery preacher, right? He isn't shaken up by this. Rather, he kind of bites back. Uh, In in these verses, we see that the disciples were all like, you, you, you. And so in verse 28, he says, hey, you yourselves heard what I said. Go and follow Jesus. But not before giving a very Jesus-like answer. Uh, In verse 27, he says, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. 
somewhat cryptic in his uh, in his message and somewhat somewhat vague or uh, undefined, right? So what is this anything? What can it be? Initially, it could be understand, uh, understood as people, right? Um, so in verse 26, he says, everyone is going to him instead of coming to us. So John's uh, disciples are talking about people, so it could be understood as that. Uh, it could also be understood as the authority uh, to baptize, um, we know that John's uh, authority to baptize was questioned by the Pharisees in chapter 1. And um, according to many historical documents, uh, John wasn't actually the first one to baptize, um, but he certainly made it an essential point of his ministry. He was known by that. He was, after all, John the Baptist. Thirdly, we can also see, uh, we can define kind of this uh, anything as a mission or calling. So John also knew that his God-given role, his God-given mission here on this earth was not that of the Messiah, but as the messenger. And he later goes on to explain what that looks like. It is the bridegroom's friend announcing his coming. I think it's quite amazing how this passage can mean all of the above here. Uh, It's intentionally vague on purpose. However, that vagueness can and has been taken out of its context to mean much more. Have you ever heard of this? Oh, this great opportunity came to me. It must be from God. Many people uh, take these great opportunities and dive in thinking that it's from God, but later realizing, hey, this is not for me. Even Satan will use the words of God and seemingly great opportunities to twist our path. We see that in each of Jesus' temptations. We often use this verse along with James chapter 1, verse 17, which says, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. However, our good Father is not one who views gifts based on their monetary value or what it looks like. Our God's goodness uh, uh, disregards what we think is good or not, he gives us what is truly good, not only what appears good. John here is losing disciples left and right. Numbers weren't what he was concerned with. It was that people, his people underneath him, find Jesus. He's saying here that in this, he is finding true joy and that in him decreasing, that is a truly good thing. So, I know um, a brother who's going through a lot right now, uh, not at this church, but he's recently been dealing with a lot of, um, you know, church politics and uh, messy administration. Uh, We certainly don't have that here, right? (laughs) But um, he's caught right in the middle of it. Um, People are leaving left and right and leaders, not just members. My initial words to him was, man, that, that sucks. But inside... My, my spirit was leaping for joy. And why was that? I began to, I began to encourage him, though, um, and said that, look, you're in a good or, or favored position here. The Bible calls these people blessed. And when we look at the Beatitudes, they don't look like they're in a good position, right? These are the people that are being persecuted, killed, right? But it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. 
this along with all the other beatitudes, it, it captures the image of what, the, the God image of goodness. What we see as good and what God sees as good, they're just so different things. So John is saying here that, you know, he, he's not to be the center of attention. He's made his speech as the best man. His announcement is just that the bridegroom is here. And he's finding great joy in actually seeing people leave him and go to Jesus. Man, isn't, isn't that the point of it all? Through every position that God puts us in, through every uh, opportunity that comes our way, through even all of our relationships, aren't we to point others to the light that's in us? But, you know, we often misunderstand this verse along with the others and take it out of context. Uh, Michael previously mentioned that, you know, this is known as eisegesis, not exegesis. The, the way that I've heard this verse, you know, he must increase, I must decrease, is that his character in me needs to increase, and that my character, or even personality, must decrease. But in our efforts to get rid of our sinful nature, don't we also do away with what makes us so unique? You know, it says that God's made us in his image, and that's that uniqueness. You know, angels are (laughs) singing holy, 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 and they've been singing that since the beginning of all eternity. Why? Because every time they look upon the face of God, they're seeing something new. They're seeing something that wows them, that amazes them, that they can't help but sing holy, holy, holy is our God. But instead, what, what it's really saying, this verse, is what Pastor Justin often says a lot. Um, he says, it's to build God's kingdom, not our castles, right? John's disciples were working admirably hard to build up the ministry of John, not God's kingdom. So busy with this work that they, they missed Jesus. They missed the bridegroom come in. <clears throat> This right here, you know, the, the work ethic almost of John's disciple uh, and this, this passage here really, really convicted me. In, in our inviting people to come to church, in our, even in our volunteering and serving, have we been more focused on having others come and see who our pastor is? Oh, he's great. Oh, you'll love him. You'll love Pastor Justin. Rather than, hey, this is where you'll find and experience life change. God's presence is found in these walls. Are we showing people the way to Jesus or rather to our pastor? Or even more so, like, are we ourselves taking up the spotlight? Now, in verses 34 through 36, these are actually John's last words, last call for his disciples Uh, to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Remember, these are the ones that are left, right? The ones that didn't listen and believe. Shortly after this moment, John is taken away, locked up in prison, and that's where he would be uh, spending his last days and ultimately would die. John is adamant about his disciples finding that path to Jesus. Let's read that uh, verse 36. Um, And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. 
a very harsh reminder and a warning to, to his disciples. These verses that he concludes with are not just for those who do not believe in Jesus as their Messiah. I'm confident that uh, I'm surrounded by people here that have truly dedicated their lives to Christ. And so I have no, uh, no doubt about that. But sometimes our focus, off, uh, it might get shifted. Uh, we start laying our bricks to build our own castles, all the while thinking that it's for Jesus. Jesus was different because he was from heaven, yes. The words that he spoke were the revelations revealed to him by the Spirit. In this, God gives us the key, though, in how we can succeed in being a proper influence. Uh, Verse 34 says, He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. Testify to others what you have seen and heard. What a calling, what a, <laughs> what a mission. No more, no less. But how can we speak about Jesus when we've never met with him ourselves? How can we invite others to experience that life change, that revolution, if we've, never been, if we've been the same these past five years? We can only testify of God if we've touched heaven ourselves, if we've tasted and seen of his glory. Uh, I want to end with this. He, he's waiting. He's wanting to meet with you, so let's press in this week, Lord. Let's pray. Um, dearly, Father, I thank you for your presence here. Father, I thank you for, uh, for your words to touch us, to encourage us, to motivate us to keep pursuing you, not out of guilt, but, Lord, out of your love for us. Father, I pray that as we go forward that that we become the lights that you've called us to be, that your light is the one that shines through for your glory, not for whatever we're building, Lord. Father, I pray that you would allow us this honor to just lay one brick in your kingdom, Lord, to, to be a part of what you're building here on this earth, Lord. Father, as we go into this world, Father, may your kingdom touch Touch our lives, Lord. Touch our uh, environments where, where we work, where we go to school. But Father, may that encourage life change in us, Lord. We want to seek you. We want to press in deeper into you to have that personal relationship with you, Lord. All for your kingdom and not for, not for our castles, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.